Good morning. Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church and uh, a sinner saved by amazing grace. And I'm thankful you're here this morning. And, uh, and I'd, I'd invite you to ponder for a minute why you're here this morning. What's the significance, what's the importance of gathering together? If this is a regular part of your rhythm, I'm thankful. Why are you here? If it's not a regular part of your rhythm, I'm thankful you're here. And I want you to contemplate why God has you here. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I need Jesus. And I need to be with you, brothers and sisters, and Jesus regularly in order to be reminded and be lifted and be encouraged and be pointed to Jesus. And so I pray that that's why you're here as well. I hope and pray that this is a part of your rhythm because you know your need. And you know that we need to be reminded and encouraged of the good news of Jesus. We need to gather together and help one another and point one another and remind one another. And I pray and I hope that this won't be just part of a routine or something that happens by accident or something that happens on occasion, but something that you plan for and engage in and arrive when you walk through the doors ready to see Jesus ready to be in this room, ready to hear from God. I, I, that's my hope and my prayer. Faith Church exists to make much of Jesus. And we only get about an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half each week to do that together. I pray that God will help us make the most of it. You with me on that? Because he's with us always, but we get to hear and encourage each other this morning. He's with us everywhere, at homes and throughout the week, and he's here this morning, and we want to hear from him. So, so I'm glad that you're with us, and, uh, and are you ready to continue to hear from Jesus, hear from the Lord? All right, well, we are concluding our teaching series this morning. Our teaching series is called what? Oh, I wonder how you knew that. And we have been working our way through what book of the Bible? Wow, you guys are geniuses. No. So this is sermon number 11 of 11, as we've worked our way through a letter written by Peter to the early church. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, one of the builders uh, and, and kind of founders of the original church. And he's written this letter, and we have been studying it together. And uh, we called the series Sojourners. Why Sojourners? What does Sojourners bring to your mind? That we're wandering through. Sojourn. We're on a sojourn. We're passing through. We're passing through where? Our earthly life. Why do we say we're just passing through earthly life? Because this isn't our true home. If you're a follower of Jesus, your true home is... In heaven, there is more beyond this earthly life. Amen? 
We think it's all there is. We think it's so heavy and busy and, and long and goes on and on, and this is all there is, and I've got to focus all the here. But in the span of God's eternity, this is a breath. And his greatness and his glory and, his, and with him for eternity is ahead for followers of Jesus. So we are sojourning through our earthly life. This is a time that we are just passing through because we are citizens of heaven, but God has us here on purpose for a reason. What, uh, especially as we've journeyed through First Peter, what have we acknowledged over and over that our earthly life includes? Suffering. Give me some more, you know, other terms for that. What have we said? What does our earthly life include? Challenges, pain, trials, disease, hardship, suffering. You guys are full of good news this morning. <laughs> no, that's see, I've been I've been blamed for mess, uh, keep bringing that message, and now I made you say it. Our our journey through First Peter has reminded us that our earthly life includes suffering. And that's all First Peter had to teach us. It was just downer after downer after downer, was it? In the midst of your circumstances, no matter the ups and downs, no matter the suffering that comes because you are a follower of Jesus, in particular, we're talking about suffering that results from following Jesus either direct persecution because you're a follower of Jesus or enduring unjust suffering, uh, enduring difficulty and pain and trial and suffering because of the brokenness of our earthly life. In the midst of that, what? What else has First Peter encouraged you with? In the midst of that, we still have hope by our faith in Christ by a God who loves and cares and sees you and will carry you through. So, uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Get your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are, like I said, this is sermon number 11. Out of 11, we are wrapping up Peter's letter this morning. Uh, we are going to do the last part of chapter 5 this morning, so grab your Bibles, get them open, get your finger in the text. We at Faith Church want to hear from God through His Word. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, find 1 Peter chapter 5 and, um, and follow along with me as we hear from God. Now, last Sunday, thankful for Pastor Ed teaching us the first part of chapter 5. And so very briefly, because it rolls right into our verses for this, this morning, let me very briefly remind us where we were last Sunday uh, with Pastor Ed teaching us from the beginning of 1 Peter 5. First, there was an exhortation, a, a command to the elders, to the leaders of the local churches, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd them, care for them, lead them, guide them. Uh, care for them and, and point them to Jesus. And then the passage continued in uh, chapter 5, verse 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger. Now this is those younger than the elders, but not just in chronological age. Really the reference here is, hey, the elders are to shepherd you and everyone else that's under the elders, be subject to the elders. Submit to their leadership because God has good purposes for you through the leaders he puts in place. And then look, so then in the beginning of chapter five, there's elders, shepherd the flock, the rest of you submit to the elders. And then I love this, right? At the end of verse five, now, now God, through Peter, addressing all of us, 
elders, those under the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? With humility toward one another. And look at the why. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, those words should be powerful, striking, maybe even alarming. In light of God's opposition to pride, let's continue the passage into, into our passage for this morning. First Peter 5, now I'm at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then Peter's letter ends with some closing comments and really some personal greetings, just as a, a letter that you might write or an email that you might write might open or close. Here's Peter's ending. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. What have I written to you? What has this letter been all about? I have written to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. What a message for us. What a message for his original audience, these early churches, and what a message for us, Faith Church, in the year 2023, that this is the true grace of God. And why do we want to know the true grace of God? Because it's the true grace of God that connects us from our, to, from our earthly experience of pain and difficulty and trial and suffering. The true grace of God is can, what can make sense of this earthly suffering and point us to an eternity in the glory of Jesus. That is the true grace of God. Church family? <laughs> So Peter continues, stand firm in it. Stand firm in the true grace of God. She who is at Babylon, this is probably a reference to the church, the early believers in Rome. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All right, so as we continue this morning, we're going to take a closer look at verses 6 through 11, as we complete our sojourn through the book of 1 Peter, we're going to go now and take a closer look at verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God. As we walk through this, I want us to consider what God is teaching us in these passages. And as we walk through this closing of the letter, it's really natural to hear things that we've been hearing throughout the letter. And so in the next few minutes as we study this together, you're going to see as we walk through verses 6 through 11, we're going to hear these references, things that remind us of things we've heard before. And I'm going to put on the screen uh, verses from earlier in the letter as Peter has made these same points and made these same points of emphasis. So verse 6 tells us to humble yourselves. When you think of humble yourself, what does that look like? This, we've already reviewed it this morning. That our earthly journey includes what? Suffering, difficulty, hardship. Even as you suffer, church family, even if your earthly journey includes this kind of pain, even because you are a Christian, the opportunity we have to humble ourselves before God means We've, we've talked earlier in this letter, we have the opportunity to submit ourselves to God. We have the opportunity to depend on God for all we need. And a word that we've seen a couple of times in this letter, a word that I feel like is very striking to me and something I want God to do in me to help me do, and that would be my prayer for you as well, is would God help us entrust ourselves to him? no matter our circumstances. Where did we see that at the end of chapter two is on the screen? For to this you have been called. To what? To endure unjust suffering. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And in this case, following Jesus includes following in his steps that included enduring unjust suffering. And how did he do it? If he's our example, how did he endure unjust suffering? Did he do what we would do? Or, did, or, or is he the ultimate example? Look how the passage continues. Jesus committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued what? Entrusting himself. To him who judges justly. Who is, who is that? God. He continued entrusting himself to the one, the only one who judges justly, the only one whose opinion of us really matters. No matter the circumstances, no matter what was coming at him, no matter whether Jesus, even though Jesus was unjustly accused and improperly uh, convicted, though he was without sin, though he had never done anything wrong, this was his response, trust, entrusting himself to his loving Father in heaven. And we see the same word in chapter 4, verse 19. This will be also on the screen. Therefore, let those who suffer, and by the way, our suffering is according to God's purposes. He has purposes in our lives for our suffering. He's at work for our good and his glory, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will, what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the opportunity we have, church family. It's hard to week after week or 
or, or paragraph after paragraph in this letter to be reminded of the painful difficulties of our earthly journey. But the opportunity we have as Peter reminds us that our earthly journey is broken and painful and includes suffering, the call, the repeated call, is this opportunity to entrust ourselves, to humble ourselves, to know that God is full of grace and kindness and to humble ourselves looking for his guidance, not our own planning, to endure unjust suffering knowing that it's for our good and his glory. So verse 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So we've talked about humble yourselves. I want to talk about that second part of the phrase in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. This language um, reminds us of, of, the, of references to our great God in the Old Testament. So let's look on the screen at Deuteronomy 5. Places like this in the Old Testament refer to God in this way. You, you uh, followers of God, you God's people shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there. How? with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we have this language of our great God bringing his people out of difficulty and delivering them to the promised land. Literally and figuratively, over and over, God at work by his mighty hand. So is, if we're going to humble ourselves, if we need to humble ourselves, might under the mighty hand of God be a good place to do that? Because he's good, and he's at work, and he's sovereign over all things, and he can bring you through, just like he brings God's people through over and over and over again. It's a good place to be. So even if even if the idea of humbling ourselves rubs us wrong at times, even if that goes against some of our selfish, natural tendencies, it's a good place to be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Why should we be okay with that? Well, look how verse 6 continues. If you're following along in your Bible, 1 Peter 5, verse 6 continues. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Whoa! In our suffering, which we know won't last forever, this earthly life is a blip on the eternal radar of God's plan. In our suffering, it won't last forever. God will lift you up. And, and that might even be in this earthly life, relieving you of difficulty and hardship and suffering and lifting you up and strengthening you, encouraging you. And we may experience that on this side of eternity. But you know when it for sure will be true? When Jesus returns and sets all things right. Or when you see him and you look him in the eyes, he will lift you up. So that, humble yourselves, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So, we could puff ourselves up and exalt ourselves and say, look at me and how good a person I am, and how I go to church, and look at the things I do, I could exalt myself. Good idea. Matthew 23 in the Bible says, those that exalt themselves will be humbled. I'd rather not put myself in a position where I need to be humbled 
by the mighty hand of God. May by the grace of God, by his power at work in us, may we start now with his help humbling ourselves so that he will exalt us at the proper time. Let him be in charge of exalting you, not you exalting yourself. So again, the passage continues now, helping us to know what humbling ourselves look like, uh, what it looks like. What does humbling ourselves look like? One way that humbling yourself looks is as we continue into verse 7. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is um, in the language here, in the grammar here, this phrase of casting all your anxieties on him is, is a sub-phrase of, of humble yourselves. One of the ways we humble ourselves is by casting our anxieties on him. How, how is that an example of humbling yourself? Well, what's the opposite of of, of trusting God? What's the opposite of putting our cares on Him? Maybe the opposite we could call worry. Our earthly existence and our pain and our difficulty and our trials come and we want to manage them and we want to exalt ourselves and we want to make things more comfortable and more easy. And so, and so what? We, we could just worry, take all the concerns on ourselves but no, the opportunity here is to hand over our concerns, to cast our anxieties, to entrust ourselves to God. Life is hard. There is a spiritual battle raging in the unseen realm between the powers of good and the powers of evil. We're going to see that here in this passage in a minute. So in the midst of this spiritual battle, in the midst of our earthly pain and trial and suffering, where do we turn? Who do we run to? Do we try to worry and manage our lives on our own? Or do we follow God's word by his power in verse 7 and cast our cares on him because God cares for us? Who do we turn to? The one who is with us. The one who cares. Verse 8. Verse 8 then continues telling us about this humbling ourselves and how we are to live during our sojourn. Verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. And again, this is a letter. This is a, we've done it in 11 weeks, but, but it can be read in 15 minutes, this letter. In fact, I did read it in 15 minutes, 11 weeks ago. So, so what do we find in a letter? We find these themes, these recurring ideas. And so verse 8 tells us to be sober-minded. That reminds me of chapter 4, verse 7 that's on the screen that taught us the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. When we studied that passage, we were reminded that the end is at hand. We are living in the end times. All that God has needed to do through the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, all that God has needed to do to put in place an opportunity for salvation has been done. He is giving the opportunity, the time for people to respond in faith and put their trust in Jesus Christ before it's too late. And so we are in this waiting period because Jesus will return and there will be judgment and he will set all things right. 
But verse, so verse chapter 4, verse 7, it's on the screen, reminded us that the end is at hand. We are living in the last days. Jesus will return. And so in light of that, we should panic and run around crazy. No. Be sober-minded. Be clear-headed. Not in fear. Not in panic of what the world is like. Not in panic, but in prayer. Not trying to escape reality, kind of shut off our brain and hope the things that are going on around us aren't really happening. But instead, be watchful, be sober-minded, be thoughtful, be, be ready for the return of Jesus. Not oblivious and putting our head in the sand, but ready, readying our lives, living for his glory, living in obedience as his children so that we are ready for his return. And part of our earthly, the, verse 8 continues, reminding us of why we need to stay sober-minded, clear-headed, watchful. As, as verse 8 continues, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It would be really nice, as we study our Bibles, to stick our head in the sand and pretend, or, or to focus on just the fun parts, the good parts, the good news, what Jesus has done. And in church family, what we need to rec- rec- wrestle with, reckon with, both of those, what we need to wrestle with is the reality of the evil one, the reality of the spiritual battle between good and evil that is going on in the unseen realm, the fact that even though we'd rather pretend that he's a a, a silly Halloween costume, Satan is real, there is evil, this is God's word, his truth, telling us that that, that our adversary prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan does have power, I will say in a moment, limited power to wreak havoc, to disrupt, to tempt, to distract you and pull you away from God's rescue plan that he wants to draw you into his family through Jesus. So Satan prowls. He does have power to wreak havoc, but look at the beginning of the letter on the screen, chapter 1, verse 5. We are being guarded by God's power. As followers of Jesus, God will protect and sustain our faith to the end. What God has begun in you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, if you have recognized that you cannot save yourselves and you've thrown yourselves upon the mercy of God by believing that Jesus is his son and that his life, death, and resurrection brings you life as we put ourselves in God's family through our faith in Christ, God protects and sustains. And yes, we live an earthly life that is broken and painful and suffering and includes the, the evil one prowling like a roaring lion. But as I've said before, and I'll say again, I'll make sure that you know, church family, that, that while he has power, Satan is already under God's thumb. And any ability that, that Satan has to disrupt or, or, or destroy or wreak havoc is limited by our powerful God. Our God can be trusted. There's nothing that happens on accident or outside of his will. Everything that occurs has gone across his desk. He's at work for our good and his glory. And we can also be reminded that Satan's ultimate demise is assured. If you haven't read Revelation 20, we know the end of the story. The evil one is cast into a lake of fire and tormented forever. God is great. God wins. 
and he cares for you. So first, first, so Peter's letter continues in verse 9. After talking about Satan prowling like a roaring lion, verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that you're not alone, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, meaning that believers in Jesus everywhere experience persecution and painful suffering because they are followers of Jesus. And this, of course, I can't read verse 9 without reminding, being reminded of chapter 4, verse 12 that's on the screen. Remember this a couple of weeks ago? Church family, beloved followers of Jesus, don't be surprised that life is tough. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you. Don't, don't encounter difficulty in this earthly journey and go, what? I'm so surprised. This is a strange thing that's happening to me. No, this letter has made it clear that part of following Jesus is enduring unjust suffering. Don't be surprised. And be encouraged, actually, that your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are enduring as well, are experiencing the same kinds of difficulty. And then verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. Remember, it, it may not feel like a little while to you. And I'll tell you, church family, in recent weeks and months, it doesn't feel like a little while to me. But what did we say earlier? In the scope of God's eternity, this is a breath. This is just a flash. And he's at work for our good and his glory. Verse 10 says, after you have suffered for a little while, that reminds me of the very beginning of the letter on the screen, chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... You have been grieved by various trials. Why are we sojourners? Because we are citizens of heaven passing through this earthly life. This is not our true home. It's our temporary home. We are passing through as sojourners in our earthly life. And our earthly life includes suffering because the world is broken since the fall, since the entrance of sin into the world. Things are not as God intended them to be. And yet, what does that verse on the screen say that we can do even in the midst of our trials? It says we can rejoice. What? We wrestled with this a couple weeks ago, and we go, man, that doesn't make sense to my earthly nature. That's not my default posture here. When things are tough, it is not what comes natural to rejoice. And yet, you know why we can? Because God's at work in you, and he will enable you to rejoice even in the midst of the difficulty. In this, you rejoice. In what? In what do we rejoice? We rejoice in the, the, the secure and firm hope that we have because Jesus is who he says he is, because he lived the life that you and I cannot live. He died the death that we deserve, and he was raised again to life. The gospel good news is that, that God rescues sinners like you and me. Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a sinful, rebellious, go-my-own-way sinner. The gospel is the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In, in, what, in what do we rejoice in the midst of our circumstances that are painful and difficult and our earthly life is hard? In what do we rejoice? We rejoice that our future hope is secure. The beginning of the letter on the screen. Blessed, we can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? 
Because according to his great mercy, not because of what we have done, not because of what we have earned, not because we uh, tried hard, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Church family, trust Jesus and trust yourself to the one who judges justly. No matter your circumstances, no matter what comes, trust Jesus and find hope. So followers, we say this many times, I say this all the time, I know, but you know, humor me. Followers of Jesus do what? Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And so what's Peter been teaching us in his letter? Peter's taught us that following in Jesus' steps includes enduring unjust suffering, enduring persecution, having things be hard and painful because we are followers of Jesus. Yet, yet that's not where Peter leaves it. The letter is tough to absorb. The topic is heavy, but it's not where Peter leaves it. We, we follow Jesus including into suffering, and yet we can rejoice because, church family, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus was here, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. My kingdom, my reign, it is here. We know, church family, that the kingdom of God is is here and it's unfolding, and that when he returns, it will be fully realized. We can rejoice in that, right? Right? And we can rejoice in the realities of our salvation that because you are in Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in him, if he has saved you out of the darkness, into light, out of death, into new life, if you're a follower of Jesus, we can rejoice because we have life now and life forever. This earthly journey is hard and painful and includes difficulty, but you can have real, true, meaningful life now because he's with you. And then certainly, the promised, assured, secure future of life eternal in the presence of God when this earthly journey is over. Speaking of Jesus, we talk a lot about Jesus around here. I like it. Speaking of Jesus, speaking of knowing him, following him, finding life in him, I think we should study about him. Or maybe I should say, I think we should keep studying about him. Starting next Sunday, new teaching series through the gospel of Luke. This will take us into the Christmas season, uh, and we're calling this portion of of our journey through the gospel according to Luke, Son of the Most High. We're going to study the life of Jesus, who is Son of the Most High, We're going to work our way through one of the Gospels in the New Testament. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell us the story of Jesus' life here on earth. Jesus, God himself, Jesus fully God, yet came to earth and became fully human and lived among us. And we get to study his life and his teachings and his miracles and who he hung out with and who he included, and the good news that he proclaimed, and his kingdom that is unfolding. You want to study about Jesus together? (laughs) I'm ready. That starts next Sunday, so don't miss it. And uh, take us into the Advent season, the Christmas season, and beyond.
That's what we'll be doing because hope is a person and his name is Jesus. All right, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here and uh, get set to lead us in worship through music again. And as they come, uh, let me invite you all to stand if you'd like to, stand if you're able. And uh, I, I want to just close our teaching time here with you helping me as we proclaim some truth as we read the scripture aloud together. So as the worship team comes, let me invite you to stand if you'd like to. And uh, in a moment here on the screen, we're going to read together from verse 10. I've, I've, uh, I don't change scripture, but I did change uh, the, I don't know, what's the proper term here? The pronouns to, uh, is it first person plural instead of singular? Or instead of, no, instead of talking at you, this, this, we're going to speak this verse as if it's true of us, okay? That's, I shouldn't have said all that. That was confusing. <laughs> what was the point? Okay. We're going to read verse 10 aloud. Uh, read it with me on the screen. And after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. We can read this in this way, follower of Jesus. This is true of us together as followers of Jesus, that his grace carries us along, that God working will finish what he started. Do you believe that, church family? That no matter what you experience, no matter the painful ups and downs of our earthly life, God will see us through. Look at those words. That God will restore you. That he will confirm us. That he will strengthen us. And that he will establish us. And let's end our study in Peter's letter by reading aloud the last verse Well, not the last verse of the letter, but the last verse of this section, verse 11. Let's read this. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.